Well, again, happy Father's Day to all of our uh, dads out there. I'm happy to uh, be one of you and uh, to rejoice in the privilege of being uh, a dad and a father. And while today's message is not directly a fathering message, it certainly uh, has a lot of uh, corollary as we are today looking at a, a psalm about shepherding. And if there is anything that is to be a dad, it is to be the shepherd of the soul of a little child, which is a, uh, just a, a, an unspeakable privilege. And so hopefully we'll learn a little bit about how to be better dads by being better shepherds and learning from uh, this uh, psalm, which of course probably by now you have guessed, it's, it's not on the screen yet, but uh, it is Psalm 23. That we are going to be uh, that we are going to be looking at today. So we started with Psalm one. How many people here have memorized Psalm twenty three? Okay, all right. Why don't you come up on stage now? <laughs> I actually did that last week. I, I preached this message at Cedar Lake, and uh, I did that. I said, "Raise your hand." I said, "If you raise your hand, would you stand?" And they're like, oh, "Okay, why am I standing?" I said, "Now, if you're standing, come on down and let's." quote this psalm, and uh, apparently a few were rusty. Uh, I didn't, there's one thing they have different translations, but some of what I was hearing there, I'm not sure what was going on. But uh, we have in Psalm 23, probably the most popular, most beloved section of Scripture in all of the Bible. It is probably the most read, the most quoted, the most uh, beloved. How many people have quoted parts of Psalm 23 in the midst of a real time of crisis in their life. No doubt many, many people. How many, how many uh, people, their last words they say on earth are, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? How many soldiers have, in times of uh, fear and conflict, have summoned Psalm 23 to their hearts in some way? This psalm is obviously so very well known. It is a masterpiece of literature. It's a masterpiece of theology. It is uh, poetic. It's pastoral. It's the, it's the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. It is powerful. It is simple. It is beautiful. And it is popular for very good reason. And it is also the most familiar section of Scripture in the entire Bible, which is part of our challenge here this morning, is that when you heard that I was speaking on Psalm 23, you might have thought to yourself, I, I sort of already got that. So I'm not really going to hear something today that is going to be new. And yet, we believe here at Bethel Church that every time we open God's Word, that God has something fresh to say to us. And of all the passages that will be a test to that, the most familiar, Psalm 23, will be that. And I want to just say, can we open our hearts to the possibility that God has something fresh for us today? Amen? Okay. Now, here's something I know, is that it's been a very long time since there has been any teaching from Psalm 23 in our church, like at least two decades of it. So I don't know how long it's been since you've heard any teaching read anything about Psalm 23, is it possible that you might know Psalm 23 but not really know it? Familiar with it but don't really know what it's getting at? And now I'm hoping to kind of suck you in here like, wow, maybe there's something that I'm familiar with but I don't really know. 
And I think Psalm 23 will prove to be that here today. So God, speak to us today as we open your word. And I'm just going to read Psalm 23. These are very familiar words. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless his word to us today. And we see at the beginning of this psalm, if you have a Bible, you'll notice right next to the number 23 is a heading that says a psalm of David. Like many of the psalms attributed to David, with that heading, we ask the question, well, when in David's life would he have written this psalm? And most people believe that David wrote this psalm in his own wilderness experience. And we're not talking about the the years that Saul was chasing David. Later in his life, David had, you want to talk about the dark night of the soul. David had his own son Absalom, who stood at the gate and whispered in the people's ears what they wanted to hear and said, oh, if only I was king, I would grant you what you want. And over time, he turned the hearts of the people to following him. And David realized that, and he fled into the wilderness as Absalom essentially comes with an army after him to kill him. So you want to talk about a dark night of the soul. David was a man who was familiar with deep, deep anguish. Not only did his son try to kill him, early in his life his father-in-law was trying uh, to kill him. You read through the life of David, he had terrible things that happened to him. His children, terrible things that happened through them. So this is a man, as he writes about the anguish of the human heart and the despair and the pain of the human experience, knows firsthand what that is like. And he writes this psalm out of that experience, and yet the psalm rather than being sort of a diatribe or a lament, is a psalm filled with confidence in God. And he has a kind of sort of tranquility in the midst of what apparently was a terrible, terrible time in his life. Now to understand Psalm 23, maybe you've never noticed that it actually moves through three different metaphors for uh, our relationship with God. The first is the most famous, okay, that God is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, The second is that God is my host, and the third is that God is my eternal companion. And it moves through that without introduction, without apology, you just sort of have to flow with it, and it does so in in beautiful, poetic language. And so let's get into the text now, and we begin in verse 1 with the most famous statement probably in the whole psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Now let's remember who's writing this. The most famous shepherd of all time, David, the shepherd boy. You remember when Samuel was, God tells Samuel, go to Bethlehem and go to the house of Jesse and I'm going to tell you which one of his sons is going to be the next king. 
And so he goes, and here's all the sons, and he looks at the oldest, and nope, not, God says, not him, next one, not him, next one, not him, all the way down the line, he says, hey, is there any other sons? And they said, well, there's the youngest, but he's out in the field watching the sheep, okay? Don't even give his name, sort of speak disparagingly of him. He wasn't even important enough to be, you know, called to this meeting. And Samuel says, we're not doing anything until he gets here. And David shows up, the shepherd boy. He just was out with the sheep. He walks in, and Samuel anoints him king of Israel. David, the shepherd boy, learned lessons about leadership and lessons about uh, God as he spent all those days and nights on the hills outside of Bethlehem, the famous city of David. Remember that he was... A shepherd boy, and as you read these words, the Lord is my shepherd, if he wrote this when Absalom was chasing him, no doubt early in his life, as he was a, even a teenage boy, he sat around the campfire, he looked up into the stars, he had the sheep laying all around him, and he just began to think about God, his relationship with God being somewhat like his relationship with the sheep. And maybe in those early years, the thought sort of began to form in his mind of God being his own personal shepherd. David says here, the Lord is my shepherd. My is a personal pronoun, isn't it? Okay. The Lord is my, it's not our shepherd, okay, or a shepherd. It is my shepherd. He is identifying the leader of his life. He's identifying with God as being the one that he is following. He's essentially saying, I am like a sheep in your flock, God, and I am identifying myself with you. You are my shepherd. And then the psalm walks through aspects of shepherding that every shepherd had to do and applies it now to God in the way that he cares for us, specifically that shepherds provide, restore, lead, and sustain their sheep. So let's just walk through these in the language, again, familiar language, but if we really thought about what it means when he says, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. What is he talking about here? This is, shepherds had to constantly be thinking about what are the needs of the sheep? What are they gonna eat? What are they going to drink? Where are they going to lay down that's going to be safe? How can I protect them? The shepherd had in his mind all the time thinking about the needs of the sheep. Specifically, water, shelter, protection. If you're a sheep with a good shepherd, you don't have to worry about those things. Now, sometimes sheep, if they're stubborn, and sheep are famously stubborn and self-centered and, fo and self-focused, right? So I have no idea why the Bible applies it to human beings. Uh, but sometimes the sheep can say, I don't trust the shepherd, or I think I'm going to be in charge of meeting my own needs. And so you have sheep that are, you know, all the time trying to figure out, how am I going to meet my needs, and yet the language here is of dependency. I am trusting my shepherd is going to meet my needs, okay? I shall not want. Maybe say that to yourself, like, if I am a Christian, I will never have a need that God will fail to ultimately 
meet. He is an awesome shepherd, God is. On my way to, uh, or near where I, I used to live, I used to drive by this farm all the time, and it was, it was a farm, they had different things, but they had horses, and I, we raised horses growing up, I know a little bit about horse care, and I would drive by this farm, and I would just look at these horses, and I mean, they were mangy, they were shaggy, you know, their hoofs are not trimmed, the pasture is just mud, and they're nasty looking. You drive by, you just feel bad for the horse, right? Now, I've never met the owner of that, those horses, but I know a little bit about him by the way that he takes care of his horses. Like, the dude's not a very good horseman, I'll just say that, right? He doesn't apparently care for them. But God is a good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. He cares for his people. And that means you today, friend. I shall not want. What need do you walk into this room today worried about, anxious about, wondering how it's going to work out? That the psalm now, this truth of God saying, I am your shepherd. I have everything that is needed to meet your needs. I could stop right there and you'd all be blessed, I hope, right? Here's a New Testament version of this, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's a good shepherd, folks. He's a good shepherd. You can trust him to meet your needs. By the way, it says, uh, it insinuates needs, not necessarily wants, okay? Bear that in mind. Bear that in mind. (laughs) The second thing we find here is that God restores us. Listen to this language. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. How many of that sound pretty wonderful? Just like, I'm not a sheep, but if I could lay on like a green pasture beside calm lake waters and take a nappy nap, that sounds pretty fantastic. To me, I mean, the language here, it sounds, you know, this is like sheep language for that Caribbean poolside all-inclusive spa with an unlimited tab, right? Like I could just sort of rest there and have all my needs being met. Because for a sheep, what are you worried about? What do I eat? What do I drink? Where do I sleep? What does he do? He leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Many years ago, there was a uh, classic book, maybe many of you have uh, seen this, perhaps read it, uh, called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And this guy, Philip Keller, was himself a shepherd and then became a writer, theologian type guy. And he writes about Psalm 23 from what he knows about sheep. And one of the interesting things that he says in this book is there are four conditions that must be met for a sheep to lie down. I did not know this. Like, sheep just don't go, I think I'm going to lie here. No, four things have to be true before they, ah, I'm going to lie down. Number one, they have to be free of fear. Two, free from friction with others. Who knew, right? They're social animals, and if they're having conflict, they're not lying down. Number three, free from flies or parasites. Amen to that, right? (laughs) I can amen that. Free from the need to find food. 
A sheep will only lay down if all four of those conditions are being met. So if you're ever driving down the road and you see a flock of sheep and they're all laying down, you can say to yourself, there's a good shepherd around there, a good farmer. Those sheep are completely confident that everything is good, that all their needs are met, all their needs are going to be met, let's go night-night. That's sheep for you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. His loving care for us, his promise to provide for us, creates within us security and peace. Metaphorically, his presence and provision creates such freedom from anxiety that we can rest. I wonder if you came in here today, is your soul at rest today? Or are you troubled and anxious and worried and wondering, how are these things going to be met in my life? Are you a stressed out sheep? Maybe inwardly you haven't rested, you haven't lied down in months. Here's the point, sheep make terrible shepherds. When you think that you gotta come up with everything that you need, you will not lie down. You will be filled with fear, constant worry. And we see in the psalm here that he's the good shepherd, he wants us to understand that he is absolutely committed to meeting our needs, that we don't have to worry about all of these things, that God has it covered. I got imagining what it sounds like to maybe be a sheep and you think that you're in charge or that you're responsible for meeting the needs. What are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? Can we trust the shepherd? I don't know. Does that sound like a prayer meeting you've ever been to? Where like, okay, it's a prayer meeting, and for 44 minutes you talk about all your problems, and one minute you pray. Like, oh no. The psalm says it clearly that God's going to meet our needs. Lay down, Christian. Lay down. Next, he leads us. Okay? He leads us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And this is probably the most famous kind of image of a shepherd walking along, leading the sheep. The sheep follow the shepherd. And notice that he leads us. How does God lead us? He leads us in paths of righteousness. Okay, God gives us direction in our life. Primarily, he does so in the Bible. The Bible is the shepherd saying to us, walk over here. This is the right way. Come this way. Green pastures over here. He leads us through his word. And his word is his will. And that will is always a righteous will. Like God, God never leads us into sin. If, you're, if you've got a decision that you're sort of wondering, what should I do, A, should I do B, B is sin, A is good, A is God's will. He never leads you into sin. He always, always leads us in paths of righteousness. And those paths are morally upright and good and uh, morally beautiful. This sounds like another famous verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, 
and he will make your paths straight. Okay? He's a good shepherd. Come this way. Come over here. There's pasture here. There's water here. There's spots to lie down here. Think of what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Ultimately, you can know who the shepherd of your life is by whose path are you following. You can't say that God is my shepherd, but I'm walking in paths of unrighteousness. Because he never leads us in paths of unrighteousness. you got somebody else being your shepherd. The devil, the world, your own sinful nature leading you. Sheep identify with their shepherd by following the shepherd. And notice that it's for his namesake, okay? His namesake is for his glory's sake. And this is one of these massive themes in the Bible where God, God is so committed to us, his glory is on the line. Like the farmer with the horses I mentioned, right? Everybody drives by there and goes, that guy's a lousy horseman. God is so committed to his glory that our care and our sustenance and our provision is tied to his glory. He ministers to us and provides for us for his namesake. Even in Psalm 23, we see it's all about him. Not only does it lead us, he also sustains us. This is verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And these words, so precious. Like, how often have these been quoted in times of trouble? Maybe you've done it as well. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David here imagines like the worst things that a human being can go through for most of us would be death, right? The shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, you can shepherd in Indiana without ever leading sheep through a valley because it's so flat, right? I mean, baldy for us is a mountain. Okay, so shepherds in Indiana would never write Psalm 23, at least this verse. But in Israel, if you've ever been there, seen pictures or whatever, it's not Kansas. It's not you know, Indiana, okay? It is, it is very hilly and rocky, and you can't walk very far without going up something and then going down something, and up something and down something. And in the downs then, between the hills, the small mountains, that's where the sun doesn't Get in, and it's dark, and you got little crags and little ravines and places that little streams go left and right. And if you're a sheep just walking along, right, what do you think? What's around the bend, right? Where's he leading us? It's dark here. Are we sure he has our best interest at heart? How do we know where this is going? Which sounds, of course, like life, doesn't it? So many times in life when we're in the valleys of life, it's gloomy, it's fearful. We don't know what's around the bend. We're not sure what's going to happen. Even as I talk about this, somebody very dear to me uh, today is in a very deep valley. And my heart goes to that situation. Well, I'm sure that this applies to the valley of death the language is more applicable to the dark nights of the soul during life, during life. 
I wonder if you're in a valley today. Okay, you in a valley today? Like you walked in here totally in a valley? Like I hope there's something in this service that gives me some encouragement. I want to point something out to you. Notice that it says that I walk through the valley. You see that? I walk through the valley. The human temptation when we are in a time of pain is to think it is always going to be like this. We think the valley is a canyon or a hole, and we think, I'm stuck. Like, this thing that has happened to me is going to define me forever. I am always going to feel this way. I am always going to be connected to this painful moment in my life. I'm never going to get over it. And yet, what does it say? He leads us through the valley. If we follow God, he'll take us through the valley. If God is your shepherd... You ever wonder what people do? I mean, here I'm in a church, okay? So I'm assuming that most of you have a faith relationship with God through his son, Jesus. You ever think about what people do that don't have this kind of, like, hope in the problems of life? Like, I've been a Christian pretty much my entire life, so I don't have years of experience of, how do you live life when you don't have promises that you cling to in the tough times of life. I see this sometimes. I have interactions with, with unbelievers. Uh, like the funeral homes call and they say, hey, we need a pastor to come do this service. Will you do it? And if I can, sometimes I'll do it. And so I meet with the family and like there's no gospel. There's no like hope for this person. There's no sense of afterlife. There's, there's not, there's, and they're just like, and I think how do you deal with that kind of pain when you don't have any hope that the person you're following is leading you through the valley. I don't know. But I'm thankful that we have a shepherd who leads our souls through those times of pain. Because to be human is to, is to be in the valley. And if you're not in one right now, you just wait, okay? Or if you're a young person and this seems like silliness to you, just wait. Because life is painful. Not always, but often painful. And God comes and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you through. I'm going to bring you through. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That enduring presence of God... He doesn't leave us in these times of trouble. I think of that famous poem, The Footprints in the Sand, which pictures that it's the tough times that his presence so often is more real to us and his promises are so real to us, it's almost as if that's why he brings them in our path. I say somewhat sarcastically. (laughs) Indeed, that's why he does it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I brought this up here just for visual interest today and to work on my golf swing, uh, if the sermon doesn't go well. But uh, this, is a, uh, this is something they gave me, the church gave me when I, when I came here, and I, I have it, it hangs on my wall in my office as a, a reminder. The picture, of course, pastoral ministry, shepherding, um, New Testament imagery. But I always read this, your rod and your staff, they come for me. I took that to mean that, you know, this part is kind of that part where you see those pictures of the shepherd sort of gently lifting the, uh, the little sheep and sort of nudging them along as they walk down the path. And then this is the part that when something bad came, they were like, wham! Okay? 
So your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's what I took it. I was wrong, okay? I was wrong. The rod is not just a part of the staff that the uh, shepherd would, would use. It was actually a, a separate uh, instrument, okay? And it was, a, it was a weapon, and it was used to protect the sheep. In fact, David says, if you remember when Saul says, how are you going to fight Goliath? You're just a kid. He said, hey, listen, when the lion came, I killed him. When the bear came, I killed him. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like them. Don't you love David? He's like, ah, like all testosterone, David. How did he kill those animals? He killed them with a rod. So apparently a rod is a very effective weapon in the right hands when you're killing lions and bears with it. It's like a, it was like a billy club. Somehow, wham, they would nunchuck it. I don't know how they did it, but. So visualize this with me. If you are a sheep and you're following a shepherd and you're going through a valley and a dark place and you can't see and you don't know what's around the corner, but you look over and there's your shepherd and he's got his staff and dangling from his belt is the rod you saw him kill lions with. How do you feel? Safe, right? Safe. Not so long ago, I was in, an un, what I, in a situation that I deemed unsafe. And there happened to be in this uh, gathering a member of our church who's a secret service agent. And I said to him, I said, hey, would you mind walking with me? And he graciously said, sure, I'll do that. So we went walking through this uh, unsafe situation. And, you know, he's walking next to me. What do I know about him? He's been trained to protect the President of the United States. And he's done it for years all over the world. I knew that he was packing heat, and I knew he knew what to do with it. Okay? <laughs> So how did I feel as I walked along with my personal Secret Service agent? <laughs> awesome, right? <laughs> felt fantastic. I felt safe. Why? For thou art with me. <laughs> your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So much language here about fighting fear and anxiety. And now the language changes from shepherd and sheep to God as host and companion. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Okay, hosting language. You prepare a table before me. Okay, this is a meal. And what is notable about the meal that God just lavishes upon us in the presence of my enemies now, I don't know about you, but if I'm surrounded by people who want to kill me, I don't go, anybody else hungry right now? Like, I'm sort of hungry. No, I'm like, right? I'm on guard. I'm not thinking about eating anything. I'm thinking about protection. But God's provision to us is such that even when I feel like my life is surrounded by people who want to take me out, he lavishes and provides everything that I need. It makes me think of that uh, moment in World War II at Bestone where the 101st Airborne is, they're like totally surrounded by the Nazis and the, you know, they're, they're, the 
the Allies are trying to save them, and so what did they do? They flew these planes over, and they just kept dropping provisions down, parachuting provisions down to, uh, to, the, to the airborne unit. And to me, it's just, it's kind of an image. There you are in life, and you feel like I'm surrounded. I can't get out. Nothing's going to change. And what does God do? Down comes mercy. Down comes grace. Down comes a friend. Down comes a scripture. Down comes provision by the Holy Spirit within. Down comes a way of escape, the temptation. So many things that God just, even when enemies surround us, he provides for us. He anoints us with oil. Okay, oil was like ancient moisturizer. And this is a desert. Israel's, I mean, largely an an arid climate, desert climate. So you're there and the sun is, you know, frying you and it's dry. If you've ever been to like Arizona, they, they warn you that you, you sweat and you, you don't even know that you're getting dehydrated because your sweat just evaporates so fast. You have to be careful. And when you're out in the sun for a long time, maybe yesterday you were at your son's baseball game or you went golfing or you did the yard or whatever it is, you come inside and you don't realize, man, I have gotten fried here. And all of a sudden it starts to hurt. You get in the shower and it's stinging. You know what I'm talking about? How does it feel when you get that cream with aloe in it and you go like this? Awesome, doesn't it feel so awesome? You anoint my head with oil. Even like though that level of concern for our needs, God is there to meet them. My cup overflows. The cup was for drink, obviously. And so God is the kind of host that's all the time, need some more, need some more, need some more. Just keeps filling and filling so much so that it overflows. In other words, God's provision is greater than our capacity. He has more than we can handle. He's more than able to meet all of our needs. And he is an enduring companion. This is verse 5. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy... Okay, goodness and mercy. Other translations, here's NIV, goodness and love. Here's uh, New American, goodness and loving kindness. These are all translating the same Hebrew word. It's an important Hebrew word, especially in the Psalms, chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed. That wasn't very good. Clear your throat, esed. That's, that's basically how you say it. And here's what it means. Steadfast, covenantal love. Enduring, persevering, unending love. That God's love has a stickiness to it. Kind of like you ever get something in your hand, you're like, I can't get rid of this. It's so sticky that God's love is like that. In the course of life, in the ups and downs, in the hills and the valleys and everything in between, there is God's love, has said, sticky love, his grace, his mercy, hang in there with me. And they, it never leaves us all the days of my life. Not some of the days, most of the days, all of the days. If God is your shepherd, the last moment, the last day of your life, there is goodness and mercy. It's been called, these have been called the hounds of heaven. Maybe you've heard that before. Goodness and mercy, the hounds of heaven. Why? Well, what do you know about a hound dog? 
like a bloodhound dog, right? It's all the time, sniffing, 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 sniffing. And when it gets on the scent, what does it do? Right? Oh, oh, that's, there's goodness. Oh, there's mercy, right? And the point is this, that as I live my life, all the time, if I stop and I listen, if I really think about the, the course of my life, there's the goodness of God. There is the mercy of God. It never leaves us. It never forsakes us. I wonder if you can hear them in your life, the hounds of heaven. And he concludes with, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where is all of this leading? David looks ahead and he sees that the day is coming where this shepherding, hosting, companionship, relationship will be so intimate that I will, I will be in the house with God. From the perspective of the New Testament, we, he's looking ahead, he's seeing heaven, he's seeing the new heaven and the new earth and the time where the, the grace and the love and the provision of God will be experienced on a level that even on earth has never been seen before. He will never leave us, never forsake us, not forever. Amen. No wonder it's popular, right? What a wonderful, wonderful psalm. And I want to spend a few moments just in terms of application of Psalm 23. What should we think about as we contemplate uh, this, this beautiful psalm. And the first thing that I want to emphasize is that as we read through Psalm 23, we need to read it Christologically. Okay? Christologically. Christologically. Jesus Christologically. Because what David may not have realized as he wrote this is that he is perfectly describing Jesus' ministry to us. In fact, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. Here is John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And there you have that shepherding imagery used by Jesus now, describing his care and love for us. He, he writes, or he does write, he speaks elsewhere, recorded for us in Scripture, that the hireling sees the wolf coming and runs away, but the shepherd stays and gives, gives his life for the sheep. That's how much he cares and loves the sheep. Or how about the imagery of the, 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 the flock of 100? There's 99 in the flock, but one is missing. What does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99, and he goes to look for the one. The care that the shepherd has, not for everybody in mass, but the sheep in particular. And we're supposed to look at that and say, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the lost sheep that Jesus has found. He says in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What does that sound like? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, why? You are with me. And we see how Jesus just, he just completes and fulfills all of this language that we love in the Old Testament but we find 
incarnated in the New Testament. Or to say it this way, if you love the shepherd of Psalm 23, if you like the shepherd of Psalm 23, you'll love Jesus. He is the one that Psalm 23 whispers about and echoes in our hearts. Boy, if I only had a shepherd like that, wouldn't it be fantastic? Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. He gave his life for us. This is the cross now. And his work of redemption as he died for us, bearing our guilt, dying in our place. If you like the shepherd, then you'll love Jesus. But this leads to the final application and probably my greatest burden today is everybody loves Psalm 23. Your mom stitched it and it was on the wall in your house and you, you, know, you had it read at your wedding and you, you know, rolled it out when you lost your job. And you know, people love Psalm 23 in, in times of celebration and in times of uh, crisis. And yet... Psalm 23 only applies if Jesus is your shepherd. Or to say it this way, how many times is Psalm 23 read over somebody as they are, their body is being put in the grave, they read Psalm 23, and yet that guy never in his life walked a path of righteousness? Was the Lord his shepherd? Is he dwelling in the house of the Lord forever? Are the hounds of heaven loping after the guy going down? No. No. And I don't want today in the sentimentality of Psalm 23 for anybody here to sort of walk out and think, hey man, it's great that I got all these blessings in my life and yet Christ isn't your shepherd. The only way Psalm 23 applies and all of the blessings that flow apply and the hounds of heaven and the mercy of God in your life apply is if you are in a faith relationship with God through his son Jesus. That's it. And so I ask, is Jesus your shepherd? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Maybe the most important word in all of Psalm 23 is the word my. Is he your shepherd? Have you personalized this relationship with God? Are there incredible blessings that come with Jesus being your shepherd? Green pastures, still waters, laying down, overflowing cup, table in the presence of my enemies, goodness and mercy. Oh, roll, roll, roll. But it really comes down to that one central question, if Jesus is your shepherd or not. And if not, here on this Father's Day, 2017, why not submit your heart to the shepherd who loved you and gave his life for you and bid you to come, to trust, to believe, to repent of your sins, to repent of all those paths of unrighteousness, and to say, by faith, I am following you in the path of righteousness, and to follow him all the days of your life. Is he your savior? Is he your shepherd? Psalm 23.